We have been talking over the last few weeks about how we need to unlearn certain things that we learned before we came to Christ. And uh, we've been in a little four-part series about having an attitude adjustment, right? We've been adjusting our attitude just a little. And of course, we're in Luke chapter 6. We've been on the Sermon on the Plain. And it's not as long as the Sermon on the Mount, but it's just as powerful. And what is unique about both of these sermons is that Jesus is going to end both of them with the same parable. So that's kind of cool. You know, he he has the same parable he's going to tell. And as we look at the end of Jesus' sermon today, he's kind of going to give not quite an invitation, not quite an altar call, but he's going to make a clarion call to say, hey, what are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about this? And so uh, we're going to hear about that uh, and uh, what decision they're going to make. Now, I want you to put on your big boy shoes and your big girl shoes because Jesus isn't going to let you off the hook with this question. And the question is this. What are you going to do with his words? What are you going to do with the word of God? What are you going to do with truth when it sits you and smacks you upside the head? What are you going to do with it? How are you going to respond? Now, you are you. Uh, there's typically two responses. You're either going to love Jesus or you're going to hate him. You're going to either accept Jesus or you're going to reject Jesus. Uh, Jesus doesn't give you any middle ground for ambivalence. You, you can't just say he was a good guy. He's either Lord or he's not Lord. Uh, and isn't that the case all throughout Scripture, the, these two choices? Uh, for one, the gate is narrow, and there's another gate that's wide, right? And the narrow gate, you can't take a whole lot of baggage with you. You've you've got to strip down. You've got to come and enter through the narrow gate. Boy, you can go through the wide gate with a U-Haul, right? The the wide gate doesn't request anything. It doesn't require anything of you. You can just keep the way you are and go right through the wide gate. You don't have to discard anything. And there are two paths. There is the narrow path. There is the wide path. There's two kinds of trees, Jesus says. There's a a healthy tree and there's a diseased tree. He says there's two kinds of fruit. There's bad fruit and there's good fruit. Now, false prophets will say, well, you know what? The the wide path is fine. Everybody else is walking that way. But whatever path you choose, as you walk this, I want you to catch catch this. As you walk the path that you're on, you're developing fruit. If you're on the narrow path, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is transforming your life and is developing fruit in you. Are you with me on that? But if you're on the wide path to destruction, you're also developing fruit, but it's worldly fruit. It's not of the Spirit. It's fleshly. It's self-centered. You can read about that in, in various places in Scripture that give you these lists of the fruit of the flesh. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, If your religion does not make you holy, in other words, if it's not transforming you and changing you into looking like Jesus, it will damn you. Wow, strong words from a preacher. It will damn you. It is simply painted pageantry to go to hell in. So there's always two choices, and Jesus is going to lay out these two choices for us today. 
the gate is the beginning, the fruit is the middle, and then finally you get to the destiny. And there's only two choices at, at the end. Jesus is going to either say, well done, enter into my rest, or the other destiny is, depart from me, I never knew you. So there's always these two choices, and, and as typical Jesus fashion, he's going to give us two chances today. What are you going to do with Jesus? The two choices are you're either going to obey him or you're not going to obey him. So you got your Bibles ready. Turn to Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 46. And we're going to read, believe it or not, our text is only four verses long today. But it's, it's packed with implications. Here we go. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Here's the very first fill-in-the-blank that we have to have this attitude adjustment, and it really becomes out of verse 46. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And here's the first fill-in-the-blank. We have to adjust what our understanding of Lord is, and Lord is in quotes. You know, what, what does it mean? What does Lord mean? Well, of course, the word Lord comes from a word, kurios, which means the one in authority. Okay, the one in authority. That's basically what it means. It can mean master. It can mean owner. Uh, it can mean king. But it also can be just a polite way of saying sir, somebody that's in, in authority over you. And, but the key concept here is that this person that you're addressing as Lord is somewhat over you. Are you with me on that? Because this is key to understanding this passage. It's one who is over authority over you, one that's over in power or even in position. Those three things, that's what it means when you say Lord, you're acknowledging their position, their power, and their authority. Now, there's three Greek words we're going to look at. They're on your outline. So and I'm not wanting to get lost in those weeds, but I think that when you see the words actually uh, in the original language, you'll understand more fully and deeper what it means to be under a power, uh, be under someone's authority or power or position. So let's look at the first one. This is a word. Now, it's the plus sign isn't there. It's called hupatasso. Hupatasso, and hupo means under. And tasso means rank. Originally, this was a military term. It means that you knew your rank and you had subordinates and then you had people above you. But it's hupatasso. It refers to subjection or, or a position of authority. Basically, when we call Jesus Lord, we could say hupatasso because we are under, because he's Lord, we are under his position. He's God and we're not. Can you say that? 
Yeah, he's God and we're not. And it's his way, not your way. It's his way, not my way. So just understanding hupatasso means that I am under his rank. He's God and I'm not. This next Greek word, again, you're going to see hupo meaning under because it's Lord. Lord meaning you come under and it's akuo. Hupakuo is what it, how you pronounce it, and it means under to hear. And that means whatever you hear, you obey. It's just kind of that simple. What you hear, or in our case, what we read in Scripture, we say we're going to obey. Why? Because we are under the lordship of Jesus. Are you with me on that? So it means uh, to, to obey. Uh, then the next word. Again, it's the word hupo and eco, under, to yield. Great, great concept. It means to, I submit to you. It means I yield my will to the Father. I yield my will to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I yield not my will be done. I mean, Jesus was obedient to death even on a cross. And yet, you know, in the garden, what was he doing? Lord, can I avoid the cross? Let this cup pass before me. But not my will be done, but your. That's hupaiko. He is coming under the authority of God the Father. And he did go to the cross. And so it's this concept of submitting but it's also a willingness to submit. Because sometimes you can get your kids to submit, but they're not doing it willingly. Are you with me on that? Yeah, it's like you, you, you're twisting them. But it is this concept of willingly submit to yield your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Three beautiful words. So, knowing these words, Jesus, go back to the text, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? If you're not going to do what I say. You're not hupakuoing. You're not hupotasoing. You're not hupoikoing. You're not coming under my authority, my position, or my power. You're not coming under any of those things, that you, but you're calling me Lord. Do you know what the word Lord, I mean, he's not sarcastic here. He's being downright honest, but he's like, if I said it, I'd probably start say it sarcastically, you know, don't you know what Lord means? You call me Lord and, and yet you're not doing what I say? Jesus was talking to that generation, and you know what? He's talking to he's really talking to our generation. Can I can I just be honest with you? We have a plague in the church. That plague sometimes goes by the name progressive Christianity, where, well, we can pick and choose what things we read in Scripture and abandon some and, and hang on to others. Or sometimes it's called the emergent church. Uh, and that was, and it's been going on for years where people have been guiding the authority, the position, and the power of Jesus, and we're serving up this mediocrity that has no power to transform lives as Christianity. That's just the way it, it looks. That's the way it is. And so uh, there's one other word, though, 
it's it comes out of the research of these people. They 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 surveyed, believe it or not, high schoolers, teenagers. They they surveyed about three thousand people, and then after they did their studying about the spirituality of teenagers, they came up with a a concept or a system. But then they started looking deeper and saw that you know what. This isn't just about teenagers, this is, this is church-wide. And so we have the progressive church, you could use that title. You have the emergent church, you could use that title. But here's the title that I think really explains it, and it's in three words. It's on your outline. It's called Moralistic Therapeutic Deism. <laughs> and you're like, what does that mean? Well, moralistic means Central to living a good and happy life is about being a good moral person. So there are lots of churches that are filled that say, Lord, Lord, but they don't come under the Lordship of Jesus. But what they do is they do believe that if you live a good moral life, good things are going to come back to you. It's almost a Buddhist philosophy, a yin and a yang. You know, you can get closer to it as you, you sow what you reap biblically, but basically it's moralistic. So there is this teaching out there that if you're a good person, then good things are going to come your way. And if you're a good person, when you die, you go to heaven. Nothing about Jesus, nothing about the Lordship of Jesus Christ, nothing about dying to self, not, nothing about carrying your cross around with you daily and dying to self. It's called a moralistic, because we just want to be good people, therapeutic. Now, you know what a therapeutic is. It's something that's going to give you a benefit, whether to your body, you know, you can have a therapeutic massage, you can have a therapeutic uh, spa, you can have a therapeutic weekend where the focus is you. The focus is always you. So a moralistic, therapeutic Christianity, I come to church to see what I can get out of it. I come to church not because Jesus is Lord, but because it makes me feel good. I want to walk this path because of the benefit that I get from it. And then deism. It could have been theism, because, but it's deism because in this kind of system, you really don't have a personal relationship with the creator of the universe. He's just this force. In fact, I'll quote from the, from the report. They said this, the remote God, that's what they called the deist, the remote God is something like a combination divine butler and cosmic therapist. He's always on call, takes care of any problems that arise, professionally helps his people to feel better about themselves, but does not become too personally involved in the process. And so we have a plague in the church, and it's called moralistic therapeutic deism, where we have many people filling pews and seats just like you are today that say to Jesus, Lord, Lord, but then they go and live their life any way they want to. Are you, are you tracking the way I'm thinking about this and the way Jesus is saying, hey, we're going to talk about uh, two people that are building a house, and you know what the house is. It's your life. And one's going to build it on, on rock-solid foundation, Jesus, and another's going to build their house on, on loose sand. And when the storms of life come, what happened? If you're building your life on anything other than the Lordship of Jesus Christ. 
It, it, it's a form of Christianity, this moralistic, therapeutic deism, where the God exists to serve you. The God, ex God exists. As, it's taking those three Greek words, hupatasso, hupakuo, and hupaiko, but instead of you coming under, it's God comes under, and you are the one that is served. That, I know it's crazy, but it's happening, and it has been. And so that's going to produce something. Now, I don't want to make light of the fact of the word I'm going to use, okay? I, I want you to be knowledgeable about that. I'm, I'm not downgrading schizophrenia. I'm not. I, I think I have a dissident relative that has schizophrenia. In fact, I'm going to put the, the definition, or Heather is, of schizophrenia. It's a disorder that affects a person's ability to think, to feel, and to behave orderly. Experiencing thoughts or events that seem out of touch with reality. That's the key phrase. Out of touch with reality. And this is the reality. Jesus is Lord. Are you with me? And his word is authoritative. That's that attitude adjustment that we have to have. And a schizophrenic Christian is one who acknowledges this is reality that, oh yeah, Jesus is Lord, and yet at the same time lives in an alternate reality that says, he, in practicality, he's not Lord. A good, moral, comfortable life is Lord. Lord being not master, but Lord being someone special, but not authoritative. Oh, the, the progressive church will say, yeah, we claim Jesus. We claim Jesus. A moralistic, therapeutic disciple will say, we claim Jesus. But when they claim Jesus, they're just saying, you're not Lord like we mean Lord. We mean Lord like you're just a special person. So the two houses in our parable are very similar. Same plumber, same electrician, same lumber yard, same roofer, same area. Two lives going to church. One obeys the word, drills down deep, builds their life on the foundation of this, the word of God. And then there are others who take the easy route out. And that is they're going to build on sand. They're not going to dig down to bedrock. And so you have these two lives one obeys the word, and one disobeys the word. One life builds their life on the reality that Jesus is Lord, and one builds their life on the reality that they have as Jesus is Lord is a special person, but he's not, I'm not under him. I don't have to obey this. I do not have to believe what it says. I can believe what I want to believe and add it to this. This out of touch with reality that Jesus is Lord explains a lot of the weakness of the, of the American church. And these profession, professing Christians are moralistic, therapeutic deists, really. And they live in a dichotomy. It's another word. I have it actually a definition for you. A dichotomy, di meaning two, cotomy meaning uh, apart. And it just means in, in two, apart, Officially, it is a contrast between two things that are opposed to it or entirely different, holding to a belief system that are actually opposed to one another. There's a dichotomy in the American church where we say, Jesus, you're Lord, Lord, but then who's really Lord? Well, I'm the one sitting on the throne of my heart. 
And you can't have it both ways. Jesus said there's two choices. It's either this way or this way. There can't be this two opposing views at the same time. It's like saying abortion is wrong. And then at the turning the, the, the other way and say, but a woman has a right to kill her baby. That's, that is a progressive Christian. To be able to say, yeah, abortion is wrong. And then on the same breath, be able to say, but a woman has a right to kill her own child. Or it's like saying, God created them, male and female. That's right. I believe that. And then at the same time saying, but there are 57 varieties of gender out there. Like, wait, that's a dichotomy. Either Jesus is Lord and his word is authoritative, or Jesus is not Lord and you can believe whatever you want. But you can't call yourself a Christian, or you shouldn't call yourself a Christian, if you say, yes, Lord, Lord, but I do what I want. Because I'm not under hupatasso, hupakuo, hupaiko. I'm doing whatever I want. Or <laughs> saying that uh, Jesus says homosexuality is wrong. That's what the Bible says. Homosexuality is wrong. But you know, when a homosexual marriage love wins. Well, wait a second. It's either authoritative, and I come under the umbrella of Jesus, under his position, under his power, under his, his authority, or I don't. And that's what Jesus is saying about building your two. You got two lives here. One's a wise man's building his house upon the rock. The other is a foolish man, and he's building his house upon the sand. It's either Jesus' word is authoritative, and that's the foundation of your life, or you live in a false reality, and you're a schizophrenic Christian, thinking reality is this, but really it's this, and that's the problem with moralistic therapeutic deism or progressive Christianity or the emergent church. They say, Lord, Lord, but they're leading people actually into sin. Are, are you catching this? Are you catching all this? Because when you have abandoned the word of God, all the while saying, Lord, Lord, you're actually being described in, in Romans chapter 2 in chapter 1, you know, Romans chapter 1 and 2 is so famous about what happens when we deny the existence and the reality that we know is true, that God exists, and then when we fight against that lordship, Romans says he gives us over to a debased mind, what I would say a schizophrenic mind. Where right is wrong and wrong is right and black is white and white is black and everything seems to be mixed up. And then he comes along and he says, you know, you got these two choices. You either obey truth or you obey unrighteousness. I don't know if you ever knew that. But before you came to Christ, you were under the power of sin. And when you gave your life to Christ, Christ broke that power so that now you don't have to obey unrighteousness. Hallelujah right? And it's just like, yes. But if we're playing church and we're playing this lip service to Jesus, then there's no transfer, transformative power in our life, which means that we're still in that bondage. Romans says you're going to obey either truth or you're going to obey unrighteousness or sin. Either way, you're going to do it. 
but it's Jesus that breaks the power of sin. So let's go back to our text. Verse 47, it says, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on rock. Now, we don't do that today. What do we do? We, we lay footings, right? And if we're in a cold area or a sandy area, we dig deep and we get down as far as we can and we basically create our own bedrock so that when the winds blow, you know, your house isn't shaking. And when a flood arose, a stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Verse 49, but the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Here's the next fill in the blank. An attitude adjustment about what the word obedience means. What does obedience actually mean? Well, obedience is an essential part of making Jesus Lord. It's the, let me say it this way, it is the outward expression of hupatasso, hupakuo, and hupaiko. It is coming under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and being obedient to him. It's the outward expression. In fact, in, in John, and I'll turn there, you can if you want, John chapter 14, but in the very beginning of 14, or, or there about 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Then he's going to go on and repeat that again, but down in verse 23, and it reads this way. Jesus answered... Um, uh, Judas, but not Iscariot. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. And whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. Building your house on the rock is just the equivalent to being obedient to the word of God. And there are going to be people that are going to mock you and, and malign you and say, why do you follow that ancient book? Why do you follow those stupid words? You need to be woke. You need to get hip. You need to get on with your life. You're all messed up. And yet you're the one that has the right reality. Are you with me? You're the one that understands what happens when a life is built on the word of God and how it changes you from the inside out. <clears throat> Also in James, it says this, and I'll, let me get there myself. If you want to, you can. James. James says this, beginning in chapter 1, verse 22, he says this. Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Do you know when you're obedient, there's an inherent blessing in it for you? You're going to be blessed. And that's not why we do it. But he's letting us know that when we look at the word of God and obey the word of God and we become doers of the word, we're going to be blessed. We're really going to be blessed. Discipleship, following Jesus, is not about just hearing and believing. 
It's about believing and doing. Are you with me on that? It's believing and doing. Hupataso, hupakuo, hupaiko. Even, here's the caveat, when you don't feel like it, even when you blow it, you still come back. How many of you disobeyed your mom and dad? Right? We all did. And yet, did they kick you out? No. What were you characterized by? Key. God looks at what you're characterized by. Who is living on the throne of your heart? Yes, he gives us grace. He gives us forgiveness. He gives us mercy. That doesn't mean we're schizophrenic. It means that we understand the reality of the old flesh dying and the new people that we are in Christ coming alive. I have this window sticker. You know, it's for a car. I haven't put it on. Can you read that? What does it say? I heart Jesus, right? I love Jesus. Do you know that the progressive church movement, the emergent church movement, the moralistic, therapeutic, deist movement, they put this sticker on the back of their car? They would. They have no problem saying, I love Jesus. But they love Muhammad. They love Buddha. They love anybody because they think that's why it's deistic. It doesn't really matter. Jesus is just you know, one of them. I, I wish that there was a bumper sticker that said this, I love or heart Jesus, therefore I obey Jesus. Now, a progressive would not put that on their window. Uh, an emergent church person would not put that on their window. And definitely a moralistic, therapeutic deist would not put this on their window, that to love Jesus is to obey Jesus. But isn't that what the word just said in several places? So, do you have your big boy shoes on and your big girl shoes on? What are you going to do with his words? What are you going to do with the word of God? Two gates, one narrow, one wide. Two paths, one narrow, one wide. Two trees, one diseased, one healthy. Two fruits, one bad, one good. Two destinies, Welcome, my beloved, enter into my rest. Depart from me, I never knew you. All comes down to these two choices. Is Jesus Lord or is he not Lord? What are you going to do with Jesus? The wise man built his house upon the rock. The foolish man built his life upon, of course, the sand. And the word rock is the word petra. It doesn't mean a boulder or a stone. It means this big, huge outcropping of unshakable, unmovable rock. It's solid. Sand, though, is loose. It's unstable. And you can easily move sand. And here's the irony of our world today. The very people who are selling and encouraging people to build their lives on the sand... And I'm talking the media, I'm talking big tech, I'm talking about the elite politicians, I'm talking about the anti-Christ religion out there. That, oh, that, see, here's the thing. When we come down to the end of times and Jesus is going to come back, there are going to be a lot of people saying, I love Jesus with stickers on the back of their car. But you have to look at the way they live their life to see if they really love Jesus because love shows up in obedience. Basically, the Antichrist in all its form, the same people pushing you to build your life in the sand, 
The same woke people that are telling you to build your life in the sand are the very same people that are bringing a storm against you. Do you realize that? Big tech, elite politicians, the woke crowd, the anti-Jesus movement. Isn't that ironic? They're selling you the sand but as soon as you start building your house on the rock, they come after you. That's just the way it's going to be towards the end of our world. But here's the good news. And it's always good to talk about good news, right? If you've built your life on the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and the media, and the big tech, and Facebook, and by the way, did you see how much money Zuckerberg gave the last election cycle, it was like half a billion dollars. It was like 497 million. It finally got disclosed and it finally had to become public. I'm telling you, they're trying to control our lives. Big tech, the elite ruling class, the woke culture, they can't take you out. The storm that's coming can't take you out if your foundation is on Jesus. Hallelujah. So we have nothing to fear as, as things ramp up or ramp down. I think every generation Satan tries to take over the world. This is just our, it's our time. And we're going to either be salt and light and change the course of, of what God is, uh, not, what is man is trying to do and be in line with scripture. But your house is going to stand. Your life is going to stand. And it's going to stand all through eternity. Why? Because Jesus Christ is your foundation. And so some people look at our text today and, man, they, they have to make that decision. Many of you have already made that decision. But it's just good to hear that, you know what? I'm doing the right. I'm building my life on the foundation of Jesus. And you know, my life is so much different, even though it's been therapeutic, but that's not why I became a Christian. I'm not the prosperity gospel. Come to Jesus and he's going to make you a millionaire. Come to Jesus. You get to drive a Rolls Royce. Come to Jesus and you'll never be sick. That's not what scripture says. Scripture says you come to Jesus and you've got to pick up your cross and follow him daily. It is a dying of self, living for Christ. But I'm telling you, it is fantastic. It is unbelievable. No matter what craziness is going on in the world, your foundation is sure-footed and you will not slip. Why? Because I know whose hand you're holding, right? Jesus is not going to let you do a face plant. He may let you grow close. He's he's going to hold your hand and that is unbelievable. That is, thank you Jesus. So I don't know if you've ever been called a wise man or a wise woman, but if you've given your life to Jesus Christ and the foundation you're building your life upon is based on this, which means you have to be in the Word of God. You can't give it lip service. Otherwise, you're just schizophrenic. You're living in a world of dichotomy. But when you have Jesus as Lord and you're in the Word, He's going to transform you forever. And you're on a strong foundation. Let me pray. Father God, seems like we went 100 miles an hour, Lord, today. But there is a real threat against the church and against weak believers. Against people that aren't sure-footed because they call you Lord, but 
Jesus, they're not under your position. You're not under, under their, your authority, not under your power. And so we pray for those that are being seduced by this progressive church movement, a liberal church movement. Father, help us to find our voice so that we can be salt and light and to be able to proclaim that we are building our lives on the rock-solid foundation of who you are, our Lord and Savior. We love you and we thank you. It's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen.